Folks, as promised, here is the bonus conversation with ACLU of Delaware's Executive Director, Mike Brickner. We talk about recent criticism leveled uh, against the ACLU from writer and independent journalist Glenn Greenwald about the perception of changing priorities at the organization and how these changes in interpretation about civil, li civil liberties uh, in general may or may not instruct our political project more broadly. Also, Mike, a Cleveland area native, gives his thoughts about the new name for his hometown baseball team and the larger context of reckoning with our country's history. A quick note before we roll the bonus chat, I wanted to mention a cool event sponsored by our friends at the Progressive Democrats of Delaware. Sunday afternoon, August 15th, they will be hosting an ice cream social in Hokessen, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Donations are suggested but not mandatory. If you want to go hang out with our friends and comrades, please sign up. Uh, I'm guessing some PPPDD-endorsed uh, candidates and office holders will be there, too. You can talk to them. Um, Carl will post a link to it in the show notes. Uh, so without any further delay, uh, here is more of Mike Brickner and me. So I want I, I, I'm going to ask you this, and it just so happened it kind of came together with the with the Gloria Richardson uh, passage um, and some other people that I've spoken with actually um, on on sort of the gun issue, and and I I got into it with Glenn Greenwald on the on the internet this morning a little bit. Oh, I don't Glenn. know why oh, I did Glenn. this. <laughs> I, I don't know why I did this, but 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 it, it actually raises an, an interesting point more generally, and I'm interested in your feelings on it. So the ACLU, the National ACLU tweeted this out this morning. Racism is foundational to the Second Amendment and its inclusion in the Bill of Rights. Learn more from experts Carol Anderson and Charles Howard Candler in this episode of At Liberty Podcast, which is, the, I guess, the ACLU podcast. Now, I've, I've seen uh, Carol Richardson interviewed at length. I haven't read her book yet, um, so I'm familiar with that part of it. I, I'm not sure about the other guy, so I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with it. But this, is, this was Glenn's comment, and I'll tell you what I said. The ACLU is now waging a war on the Bill of Rights. The ACLU's position on the Second Amendment has always been nuanced. It's, it's an important constitutional protection, but that's collective, not individual. But now they're proclaiming parts of the Bill of Rights to be racist. So I retweeted him and I said, wait till he finds out about the rest of the gun. <laughs> <laughs> and so... <laughs> And, and and so uh, for some reason he's really been engaging with me lately. I, I'm I'm glad. I mean I, I mean I think he's an important thinker. I, I I think a lot of his stuff now is um it's unfortunate um because I think he's picking he's picking examples of good of good arguments, but he's picking the example that will that will like most own the what he calls left liberals. I guess that they watch MSNBC or something, which I think is, the, is a stupid way to pick your examples of the arguments you're going to make. But again, he has got a Substack, so he's got to do that. Um, but then his his response to me was 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 interesting, and I, I'm I'm going to get your feedback on. He said, given that the ACLU's primary mission throughout the 20th century was defense and expansion of the document that you believe is devoted, devoted to upholding white supremacy, you should hate that group. But I'm looking forward to the interview. I told him I was interviewing you. Um, now, here's the bigger point. Now, and, and the ACLU is very famous, and we've talked about this, for um, defending the, the Klan's right to, 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 to rally, or, or you know, defending basically to the letter of the law um, these constitutional precepts. 
Now, there's an argument I make that the entire Constitution, and that's what I told Glenn today, I mean, we should have scrapped it at Reconstruction and started again. Uh, that was, a, you know, that's the biggest mistake that probably the country's made in the last 200 years. Um, so, in, 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 in that sense, I still think it's a racist document because of the, the point of it to begin with. Um, was to try to get reactionary sort of elites together on this confederation of states rather than having the Articles of Confederation, which didn't work. So historically, I'm still okay calling it a racist document. However, there is a change in, there is a marked change. What, he, what he's, the, the, the crux of his argument actually is true though, because I don't know whether the ACLU used to make these determinations about like what was good for some or, or not others or what the limitations of this or that were, where they took a more libertarian sort of broader um, approach to this stuff. Do you, do you know what I mean? So this is a, so while, he, you know, while he was trying to pique me with the other thing, his, his, his interpretation of the ACLU's work historically with what the work has sort of started to develop or, or progress into is different. And I, I'm interested to get to, to see if you feel that way, and if you do feel that way, um, sort of why or, or or what your feelings about that are. It, it, it's interesting because you know I've worked for the ACLU now for uh, over 15 years, and I worked at the Ohio affiliate for 14 years, and I've been in Delaware for one, and I had some you know time at other organizations in between. Um, and so there, there, there are some. There are definitely some changes in the ACLU um, that I've noticed in my fifteen years. Um, and they're not all going to be um, policy based, but um, actually more how we work is what I've noticed. Um, so, but a couple things I wanted to address on that. So, first of all, you know the podcast I've listened to with uh, Carol Anderson. Actually, I know Carol. She did some. She, she has some great books if you've ever read uh, White Rage or um, uh, One Person, No Vote. So White Rage is all about kind of the history of white supremacy and white reactionary uh, feelings in, in, in the United States. And then One Person, No Vote is kind of the history of voter suppression in the country. And so the second, her new book, is all about the history of the Second Amendment and how it's been used and weaponized, for lack of a better term, against black people. And... I think that you know that's history. We can't be ahistorical, right? That that she is presenting facts of the ways in which the Second Amendment has actually been used to perpetrate racial injustice in this country, and that there are you know facts and historical documents that show part of the reason why the Second Amendment was written in was to inf enforce slavery, um, and that that was part of the founding of this country. And we so we can't be ahistorical about it. And I also think that for any of the amendments, um, you, you do need to look at them under a racial justice lens, right? And if you do look at any of them under a racial justice lens, of course, uh, the groups that have been historically oppressed don't enjoy the full benefits of any of the amendments, right? If you think of whether it's, the, it's free speech or the right to vote or the right to a fair trial, uh, you know, black people and brown people um, don't enjoy the same rights. And so um, I, I think that that's important. What I hear a lot from um, people who are critical of the um, ACLU's First Amendment uh, positions in particular, and I think that's where I see a lot of 
um, uh, folks like Glenn uh, talking about are that they're concerned that the ACLU will no longer represent people that we do not agree with. Um, I, I will say, you know, certainly I'm a civil libertarian and I believe in, you know, defending everybody's right to free speech. Um, what I am aware of, though, is that uh, we're a relatively small organization, too. Um, I have 12 staff <laughs> total in the whole state of Delaware uh, and two litigating attorneys. And so there are only so many cases that we can take up. What I can say from, for, for instance, from my history with the ACLU is this is not the first time that there have been those types of criticisms leveled at the organization. So when I first started working at the ACLU of Ohio uh, back in the early to mid 2000s, we were just coming out of decades worth of cases around the separation of church and state where you know the ACLU was kind of known as the First Amendment police, that every time somebody erected a, a crash for a nativity scene or um, a ten, commandments. ten Commandments, right? Yeah. We were there and we were suing, right? And we sued many times up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And we set the, the law of the land and it became settled and there really wasn't a whole lot more for us to do. I can tell you, I can't, I can't tell you with authority here in the state of Delaware, but I can tell you in the state of Ohio, if you drive around the state of Ohio, you're going to find Ten Commandments, and you're going to find uh, nativity scenes up during Christmas uh, on public property that haven't been litigated by the ACLU because the ACLU could spend all of its organizational resources for the next hundred years <laughs> fighting every single crush and every single Ten Commandments, right? And so years ago, back in the uh, early 2000s, the organization said, okay, we've litigated these cases. We've got to move on to the next series of complex litigation. And, you know, oftentimes what I hear from people um, criticizing our First Amendment position is, well, they're not defending the Nazis or the KKK or some of these hate groups out there that, you know, people talk about us uh, defending back during the Skokie days. And I can say in my tenure of the ACLU, I have defended hate groups, um, so that that has certainly happened in the recent past within the ACLU. We're still uh, defending the First Amendment, but I think that we're also very much looking to what are those new cases that we can uh, uh, look at of the First Amendment. So, you know, a lot of our work has focused more around technology and the use of that to censor people. Um, not necessarily the same cases that we saw back in the 1960s and 70s around Nazis protesting, because the case law on that is pretty well settled, and there's not a whole lot for us to do um, to to do complex litigation. Yeah, no, I I, I pretty much agree with that. I, I think I'll give you an example since we're talking about Glenn. You know, he he got you know he really got his pants in a twist about um, the Hunter Biden story being basically you know purged from the internet, and so the Post couldn't. Um, share their story. You couldn't get it here or there. You couldn't share a link on, on, on email or whatever. I, I think that's uh, clearly ridiculous. Um, but, you know, the MSNBC liberal probably thought that that was great because they didn't they didn't think it was fair or, or, or you know, they have some sort of affinity to the Bidens or Hunter Biden or whatever. Um, no, I mean, I agree with Glenn. I think that that was scandalous mm -hmm. from a free speech point of view. But again, like a politician's son getting, you know, a few hundred grand or 500 grand or whatever from some fake board he sat on to not do anything. Yeah, I mean, every, everybody's doing that. 
you're picking that one to try to make some other you know, like a the, the reason you're selecting that one is is for your personal reasons. Yeah, yeah. Because it fits your it fits your structure of what you're trying to do. Right, right. So while I while I agree with the with your conclusion that it was an absolute scandal that it's a shame that people who are, are civil libertarians or, or just liberals in general think like you can't share a newspaper article on the internet what is that but but again like am i gonna like you said I, I, we have limited resources is this what i'm gonna like bring everything down for i don't i don't know right right well and the and and, and the other thing that sort of does uh frustrate me is that then a lot of times um the folks that are upset about, well, you're not defending, you know, these hate groups as as much as frequently as you used to, um, will then bring up uh, our other work around, like, for instance, transgender rights or racial justice, and say, well, because you're prioritizing that more than you must not care at all about free speech. And again, I think it's it's um, sh you know, kind of shielding oneself to the reality that. I mean, for instance, you know, we you know, the ACLU is the uh, single most frequent arguer in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. This last term, our major case was free speech. It was the you know fuck cheer uh, case uh, from Pennsylvania oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that that we championed and that we saw as incredibly important because if it had gone a different way, it would have eviscerated student free speech in this country. Um, you know, we would have seen a rollback of student free speech that we hadn't seen since Mary Beth Tinker's case back in the 1960s and 70s. Um, so it, it, it was it was incredibly important for us to be involved in that. And so we prioritize that. If you look at our, um, you know, case docket, we have plenty of free speech issues. But I think it's oftentimes um, a, a bit there's a, a bit of an agenda of saying, well, you're not defending these people that um, you disagree with and you're somehow prioritizing this other issue. And because you're talking about racial justice or transgender rights or women's rights or whatever else, it must mean that you no longer care about free speech. And I, I reject that. I mean, I think that, you know, the ACLU in all the years that I've been at it uh, has always been a very diverse organization, an organization where you have many people across the spectrum who believe in different things. The other interesting thing is, I mean, there's been a t there's been like uh, you know news articles. There was a New York Times article that I thought was pretty poorly written from a couple months ago um, that tried to expose disagreement at the ACLU between staff members. And I'm like, newsflash: a First <laughs> Amendment free speech organization has people who disagree with each other. Yeah, that's not that, like uh, the, the, the that's the, not breaking news. Or the, the 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 statement here has always been like, if you agree with the ACLU, 25% of the time you should become a donor, and if you agree with us 50% of the time, you should work for us. Right? That there's no single person I've ever met in my entire life who agrees with the ACLU 100% of the time. And so of course there's dissent, of course there's disagreement. And you know what, there's been disagreement and dissent all 100 years of our organization. And there's also been a history, it's not as though we were only ever a free speech organization. We've worked on racial justice and LGBT rights and women's rights since our founding. And a lot of our founders focused on those issues. And so again, like some of the, the commentary that I see out there is totally divorced, I think, from reality and, again, has a, a very set agenda that's trying to attack the ACLU for something that I don't believe that it is and has become. Yeah, I think that's fair. And even on the, <clears throat> even on the guns issue, um, you know, I, I, 
it just so happened I wanted to read that quote about uh, Gloria Richardson about her sort of militancy and 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 at least making sure that she had her Second Amendment rights and her and her family and her her people did um, just in case sort of situation. And I agree with that. Um, I think a lot of the gun stuff in in Delaware is just sort of kind of misguided. I think a lot of people that aren't you know, your typical person who's going to show up, uh, you know, in Dover and, and scream at Brian Townsend still, you know, there's a person that's not that person who still wants their gun. And, and I get that for, you know, reasons that are in the book and, and other ones. And I but I don't think that um, discussing the uh, the history of the wording of the Second Amendment is like. I now hate the like I now hate rights like I don't want people to have rights uh, that's that's the jump that's the jump that I see happening is like like I don't agree I think that a lot of the focus on um, what do you call it? race essentialism maybe um, from a political standpoint is a little bit misguided but that doesn't make the history wrong like all that stuff still happens so we have to reckon with that in some way now does it make sense to make individual people like reckon with it and deal with it and feel bad about it. Maybe not. We have to figure out good strategies to do it. So like we have to strategize around now that we know that the second amendment was like this, what do we, how, how do we think about it? What do we do? So it's like, yeah, it doesn't mean that I'm against it. It means that we have to sort of try to look at the real history and then strategize for it. So yeah, I, 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 I feel that. I mean, what, you know, we've talked about guns in here before a, a, a bunch, and, and I, I think, um, you know, it's sort of a, another another sort of resource suck for, like, activists because, number one, you're probably not going to get any changes. And if you do get changes, they'll be modest, as they always are. They'll be, and, and, and those modest changes on, you know, magazine capacity um, or, you know, waiting a day, that doesn't, that doesn't solve the problems that we have with guns. The problems we have in Delaware or in Wilmington or Dover uh, with gun violence has nothing to do with how many rounds you can fire at once. Or, or really, it doesn't really even have anything to do with whether you waited a day to buy it. Because, you know, look, you can, you can crack down on straw purchases. You know, then the, a 9mm with the, with the serial number filed off will just cost $150 more. What, what is that? That doesn't, that, that's not helping. You know, we need to house people. We need to get people health care. We need to get people good schools. We need to get people a living wage. We need to make sure that the, the, the power of the state and the criminal justice side, fines and fees, incarceration, Leo Bohr, we got to make sure that the power of the state's not on these people's neck. That's what solves these problems. You had to invest in public education. That would know, be a great right? idea. Yeah, 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 at least yeah. we're doing that. Yeah, thank yeah, goodness. Yeah, F finally, after many decades in a lawsuit. So, <laughs> yeah. So, the last fun question: uh, You're you're a Cuyahoga County guy. Yeah. Right. We we're talking about Nina Turner earlier. Yes. Yes. So, Nina. Uh, the Guardians. Are you are you down with the Guardians? I am so down with the Guardians. So, so people don't get the don't understand that the statue thing. Yeah. You, can you, can you, you want you want to you want to give people yeah, the, so, the, the, so the word? Yeah. So there's there's a beautiful bridge, the Lorraine Bridge in Cleveland. So if you're if you're in Cleveland uh, downtown and it's right outside of where um, Progressive Field is, uh, I always want to call it still Jacob Field, but Progressive Field, uh, if you want to drive onto the west side of the city, you have to cross this uh, uh, beautiful bridge. And um, it's got uh, these 
amazing tall statues of these uh, kind of winged guardian. Yeah, uh, they're like Art fe- Deco features. Yeah, yeah they're cool. And they're really cool, and they're a huge uh, uh, symbol for the city of Cleveland, and something that I think everybody can get around. I I am excited about it because I can remember from my early days at the ACLU. You know, we we represented the indigenous tribes who protested in front of, uh, at the time, Jacob Field and were, you know, harassed and arrested by the police and we had to fight for their First Amendment rights. So again, the ACLU fighting for people's First Amendment rights. Um, And it has been a long slog. I mean, I remember, you know, people in Cleveland poo-pooing the idea of ever changing the name of the baseball team and ever changing the mascot. I mean, keep in mind, this name change is coming only a year or two since they actually finally got rid of Chief Wahoo, which was just so horribly racist. Um, yeah, I mean, the uh, the caricature was a little much. A, a little much, a little much. And and so, you know, it, it's it's really exciting for me personally to have at least seen the progression over 20 years of this movement for justice. And it gives me hope as an advocate because I will tell you, if you would have asked people in 2000 or 2001, will Cleveland ever change its mascot or its name of its Major League Baseball team? Almost everyone would say, no, there's no way it's ever going to happen. And it took decades of organizing and people pushing and changing the conversation for it to finally happen. And here we are. And folks have done it. There are folks who are not happy. I oh, was, I'm shit. Well, well <laughs> I don't know if you saw, there's uh, the Portage County Sheriff. Portage County is a, where, a little bit south. It's where Kent State is. And it's where I, I, I went to college in Portage County. Uh, the sheriff uh, issued on his Facebook page with his official uh, uh, logo and everything, uh, a long uh, post about how he was so upset and he was speaking for the silent majority who are so disappointed that we're erasing our history yet again, just like we apparently are with our Confederate uh, generals and such. Right, and, lots of grams of cope. Uh, it's got to get that cope. Uh, it, it is it is very bleak out there. I guess if you want to hold on to that, you know, 1950s history. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I'll say, you know, on on the you know there is there's a uh, you know a criticism to be made that it's um you know just a baseball team's name, and so what does it really do? But I will say this: I mean, as we start to reckon with our history, whether it's the history of the Constitution, or the history of the Civil War and Reconstruction, or the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, or, the, or the native peoples. Uh, first, first, uh, what are they call them in Canada? There's a huge uh, First Nations, um, you know. And, and we had we had uh, the the native schools here too, and you know they tried to basically put native people in concentration camps, and when they died, they just threw them in a hole. And um, you know, we, when as we start to reckon with this, changes are going to be made that reactionaries are going to cry about because it's just a baseball team and my dad took me to see the Indians at Municipal Stadium when I was two and but who cares. Um, so I, I think that that is at least a, it's, it's a social sort of reckoning with what the history is. Now it doesn't really do anything, but it's a, it's a way to socially and publicly say, yeah, I mean there's a history here that we've tried to cover up and it's not good, and so we have to start reckoning with it. And I think, in that sense, um, I was pretty happy. And when I found out, like, again, 
my grandfather's actually from Cleveland, uh, and I've been there once, but I never saw those statues. So I saw Guardians, and I was like, I don't know what this is. And somebody's like, actually, it's these statues on this, yeah. on this thing. So I pulled it up and looked at it, and I'm like, oh, that's dope. Yeah, and it's every, actually really cool. If you're from Cleveland, you're probably like, "Oh, this is yeah, pretty good." Ev- everyone from Cleveland knows those statues. Yeah, of course. So if you know, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but and that's what it's supposed to be. It's your it's your team. It's your local sort of thing. Yeah. And so yeah, it should be something that's local. And, and the other thing is, you know, it, it is just an, a name and a, and, a, and a mascot, but you know, it's also the culture. I mean, I I can say going to many. Uh, baseball games in Cleveland, you know, people would come, you know, dressed up. Uh, you, you remember the old Major League uh, yeah. movies and yeah, stuff? Yeah, where I mean, they, they have, still do it in Atlanta. They right, just allow right. them still do it. Yeah. And, and, and you know, the culture of just kind of tokenizing and making fun of and sort of, you know, utilizing a whole group of people that way. I, I, it's it's important for the recognition of the harm that was in, that, that was made. Um, it's also an important shift, right? That we're not just worried about what the dominant culture's perception of something is, but that we are actually recognizing this inflicted harm on people who are not in the do- dominant culture. And we're going to shift to hopefully no longer inflict that harm in that area. I agree with you, though. Like, you know, if you look at the issues that indigenous folks face in the United States, I mean, it's. Um, it's unending, and so you know the next steps are like what are what else are we going to do? Uh, if we're talking about voting rights, you know, you look at the rights of Native folks, access to healthcare. Um, you know, getting access to the COVID vaccine has been very difficult. Cool new lawsuit alert I'll give you is uh, just this past week, um, the ACLU of Montana filed a lawsuit against the state because they have in their state constitution a requirement to fund education about indigenous tribes that they've never funded, never done anything about, and the ACLU sued them and said, you need to fund this, and just filed it last week. Um, And again, you know, teaching somebody history, it's not necessarily going to change all of the systems, but education and a recognition of the harms that we've uh, inflicted in the past, it, it is a part of the overall recipe of, I think, social justice. And it does have its place somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine line. I, I, I talked about, uh, a couple weeks ago, talked about critical race theory and the 1619 Project and my critique of, of them and how they're used. But the, ultimately, and you said it perfectly, it is history that we need to sort of figure out, not only that it happened, but like, why am I just now finding out about this? Like, what happened over the last 400 years, 300 years, 200 years, whatever it is, to give me the impression that this didn't happen or it wasn't like this? And that's the nefarious part, and that goes to what our strategy should be uh, going forward, I think. Well, and and those efforts to censor, and this is why I think the ACLU will always work on First Amendment work, because, you know, bans on critical race theory are essentially censorship. It's academic censorship. And... We've dealt with academic censorship for our, our entire hundred-year history. You know, whether it was fighting against the Red Scare, against uh, uh, not being able to teach about uh, Palestine, or not being able to teach about all sorts of issues throughout American history. You know, those issues of academic freedom and academic first uh, First Amendment rights have come up for us constantly, and and they continue to. And we can see it with critical race theory and. I'm sure there will be something else in the future. But again, those efforts to censor are always about, I think, maintaining the status quo and maintaining 
the, the power systems that we have right now because we don't want people to learn about the past. We don't want them to see uh, the truth. We want them to see whatever filtered picture that we've given of the past, uh, whatever idealized version that was, right? We freed the slaves and then Martin Luther King gave his speech about having a dream and then everything was great, right? Well, no, that's not reality and that's not what happened. But oftentimes in history classes, we don't learn much more than that. So there you have it. More powerful content from the Highlands Bunker Studio. Uh, please go check out the ACLU's work as well as Delaware Call at DelawareCall.com, uh, our partners in producing these. And for goodness sake, if you're in a position to support this podcast with a patronage, you can do so at patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, from the shadow of Rockford Tower to the swamps of Fenwick's Back Bay, left is best. <laughs> <laughs>